You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Okay, now you can make some noise. Dr. History. Thank you, Zeb. (laughs) I appreciate that. You're like a bull in a china shop. And I'm not going to touch that microphone, I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, you have to to tip it up just Just a little. Yeah, there you go. You're like a sumo wrestler over there. (laughs) I don't know how that fits in. (laughs) Oh, it's nice driving out here. You know, I'm seeing the spuds coming out of the ground and the beets piling up. And and the beans. Beans, yeah, Yeah. it's great. I love harvest time. And, And you know it's fall when you look out and see all those grain fields that are now stubble fields and you yep. still see some of the straw bales straw. out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, today uh, I've got this book. It's called Outlaw Tales of Idaho by a guy named Randy Stapilis. Oh, Stapilis. Uh, Randy Stapilis, yeah. Yeah, you've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Yep, okay. Yep. So anyway, this is, uh, uh, I like this because, you know, we're Idaho boys and I kind of like having stuff that's close by. Yeah, absolutely. So here we start out. Oh, do you have any thank yous? I, not today, I don't. Really? Yeah, I haven't heard anybody for a couple of weeks here. Okay. But uh, anyway, so Jim and Lewis Eddy, they looked kind of cheerful as they rode along the trail. The Eddy and Splon families, okay? Right. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Eddies and the Splons were members of two families. They lived uh, under the Seven Devils Mountains, somewhere up around Weezer. And the meeting at Weezer with a guy named Emmett Taylor, and his name will come up a little later, okay. must have gone well because it meant that the work they were preparing to do would begin. And I don't think you're going to see where this is going, Zeb. I Normally, gonna... I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So we're up in Weezer. Weezer. Hopefully, it's better than your bear story. Yes. Well, we'll move on back, past Had that. Had his head caught in the head of a bear. So <laughs> up in Weezer, the sight of these two backwoodsmen meeting with Taylor must have seemed a little odd because the Eddies casually rode off with a package from Chicago that they'd gotten from this Emmett Taylor guy. All right. As they rode up to their house, they checked the doors and double-checked to make sure family members were on guard. They were in their places. And the supplies they brought in consisted of some manufacturing equipment. Okay? Really? As everyone watched, they opened a box and pulled out the wooden mold pieces, one matching the shape of a $5 gold piece, another a $10 gold piece, the third was a $20 gold piece, and there were near duplicate wooden pieces also needed for the work ahead. Well, I got it all figured out. Yeah. Counterfeiters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they assembled their material and were ready to produce U.S. gold pieces, Uh or at least reasonable uh, facsimiles thereof. Yeah. So, and really, if you think back in those days, for them to do this, uh, I was looking for a date, it's late 1800s anyway. Yeah. Um, So here's what they did. They carefully poured plaster into a set of molds. And it was limestone uh, plaster, and it was a special mix developed through their research, and it cured almost immediately. Once the pieces were set, they were taken to a kiln out back and fired. 
Now, these are some backwoods people, Zeb, but anyway, they had gotten some research. Now they were ready for the metal application, which had three steps. Okay, so the plaster pieces were put inside another set of molds, which had small openings on the sides. So the eddies and the splons melted down a batch of metals, tin, copper, and lead, into an alloy, and then poured it thinly over the plaster. They weren't just backwoods people. They They're had some knowledge. Sharp, pretty yeah. sharp. So the layer was so thin that the coin's design still remained sharp, but the alloy was strong enough to withstand wear, at least for a while. So you got this uh, yeah. uh, plaster covered with a little layer of metal. Right. Now, the coins had to look uh, uh, as if they'd been made of, go- of solid gold. So here's the next step. They prepared a liquid mix with a small amount of gold together with some other metals and chemicals. Now, the surface had to be durable enough that the gold sheen wouldn't wear away too fast. Okay, uh, They had to use a special method that was high-tech for the 1880s. There's the date. They acquired a large electric battery able to supply a substantial current. This, too, had taken some research and effort. The coins were then placed in a tub with metal salts and other components, and a jolt of electric current from the battery was applied. Uh, Let me ask you something. You said they were backwoods people. Could Dr. History and Zeb at the Ranch do this? Uh -uh. (laughs) We'd probably get shocked or (laughs) blown up or something. But, you know, the Splons and the Eddies were looking at their new pile of bright and shiny five, ten, or ten, and twenty dollar gold pieces. Uh, they looked more real after they kind of they kind of jostled them around like in a bag or something to make them look like they had been used. But the whole process only took a few weeks. Yeah, and you realize we're aiding and abetting counterfeits. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're get, well, they don't have the formula yet. So now all they had to do was spend the money. Oh. So. They loved horse racing. Oh. Now, at first, the families decided to counterfeit gold coins were uh, for use at the horse races in Lewiston. And you've probably been up there. Uh, and other tracks around the Northwest. And during a visit to Weezer, members of the family met a well-educated local man named Emmett Taylor, who bought into the scheme and helped them devise their manufacturing operation. So he was the guy that helped him get some of the material. So he knew that it was counterfeit. Right. He, oh. he, he was helping them out. So the families began using the coins, and they were accepted routinely at the Lewiston track and other locations. And for several years, they traveled around the region and often exchanged the coins for paper cash, and they also exchanged money at county fairs. Now, here's where it gets uh, tricky for the family. I see. Charlie Rivas. Okay, a clerk in a Salt Lake City hardware store was a young man uh, in the 1890s. The profession of detective had just come into national prominence, prominence and Revis was ambitious. He wanted in on some action. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Now, the opportunity uh, in Salt Lake were a little slim. He had no immediate path to get himself from store clerk to detective. But one day, he had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. A man who seemed to be unfamiliar with Salt Lake and had a backcountry manner about him walked into the store looking for a box of nails. And it only cost a few cents. Well, Rivas collected the box. The man apologized and said he had only a $20 gold piece to pay for it. Rivas opened the cash drawer, made change for the 20, handing back nearly that much to the customer along with the nails. The man walked, thanked him, and walked out. Now, something didn't seem right to Rivas. Something seemed a little peculiar. A backcountry man with only a large denomination coin available to pay for an item that only cost a few cents. So he strolled from behind the counter over to the front window and looked down the street. He saw the man casually walking along, and then a block or so away, he saw him toss the box of nails into an alley. Well, he was, uh, in his own way, he was helping uh, shore up that building. It looked like it was falling (laughs) apart right there. He was helping. So Rivas saw this as an opportunity. He took the coin to federal officials in Salt Lake, where they quickly determined that it was fake. Oh, my. A big reward, uh, $1,000, for anyone who could uh, bring the counterfeiters to justice. So he didn't know who the guy was? No. Uh-uh. Okay. But Rivas was highly interested. He already knew that what one of them looked like, and he sur- soon learned that the investigation was being run out of Lewiston, Idaho, where the largest number of bad coins had been found. Rivas headed up to Lewiston. Okay. Now, Marshal Eben Bounce knew the horse tracks. What was the guy's name? Eben. E-B-E-N. Mounts. Mounts. Oh, okay. Sheriff. Marshal. All right. And he knew the horse tracks, and uh, were the and that was the main distribution uh, point for the coins. He interviewed people. Gradually, the prime suspects began to emerge. Uh-oh. The Eddie and Splon families, family members, always seemed to be around when the bad coins started showing up. Now, they were good suspects, but there was no proof. I had see. no proof. The hideaway uh, where they lived on the, off the Rapid River was well guarded. No one knew where the uh, evidence might be. Now, Rivas knew another route needed to be taken. He figured out, we've got to catch these guys. Okay. So he searched around for the fastest horse he could find. He found a horse named Nancy Hanks. Okay. He entered her in the Lewiston races opposite a couple of Jim Eddy's horses. Nancy Hanks beat Eddy's horses. Okay. So the plot thickens. Oh, boy. Revis made a this point. like Alfred Hitchcock. Revis made a point of introducing himself to Jim Eddy, one of the counterfeiters, and started as a comp- what started as a competition developed into a friendship. They became friends. As he met the Eddies and the Splons, he suggested that he was kind of getting destitute, looking for some kind of an opportunity. He, they asked him whether he would be willing to part with his horse, Nancy Hanks, and he said no, but he suggested maybe a half interest in return for some other enterprise that might also, on some level, be a moneymaker. To see where he's kind of putting his nose in here? Oh, be. The Eddies and the Splons talked to him. Was he working for the FBI or anything? No, at he that was time? just a private detective. Really? Just trying to, trying to get this reward. Oh, yeah. my. So the kids seemed to be on the level. They had never let an outsider into the family before. But Nancy Hanks, the horse, was a special horse, and they wanted her. So Jim Eddy sent a message north to Lewiston, Lewiston inviting Revis down to their home in Rapid River. He took a stage to Grangeville, and there Revis met with Marshall Mounts to tell him what he was up to. 
that he was going to infiltrate this this uh, gang. Then he headed into the compound where the two families lived. Now, the Eddies and the Splans may not have taken kindly to this outsider. However, the families finally concluded that he could stay, that he would observe them. So for the next three months, Rivas spent his time at the Eddie and Splan houses helping with the chores. The families did not let him actually witness the counterfeiting, but he learned a good deal about it anyway, and he persuaded them over time that he might be able to pass some of the coins himself over in Oregon, where he was unknown. Well, they decided that this guy, Rivas, could be trusted. He learned where the supplies were kept, where the molds and dyes were located, and where the coins were stashed. So he was a pretty good detective. Found out where all these things were being stashed and hidden. Well, he stayed in touch with Marshall Mounts, and the two of them worked with the Idaho County Sheriff, uh, Williams, and they hatched a plan to finally nail the counterfeiters. So... Uh, A story was concocted that cattle were missing, and Sheriff Williams issued a warrant for the arrest of Jim Eddy on a charge of cattle theft. Two members of the families showed up in Grangeville. They were arrested and jailed at the county courthouse at Mount Idaho. you know where Mount Idaho is? I never heard of it. I haven't either. It must be, but it's up there by Grangeville. Oh. Anyway, Rivas made his way back down to Rapid River to where the families were and told the tale. He said everyone in the family uh, needs to show up at the courthouse at Jim Eddy's arraignment. Do you see where this is going yet? I do. Okay. They Pretty ex- smart. They, oh, yeah. They accepted his advice, and one morning in 1896, the rest of the two families set off for Mount Idaho. When they arrived in the courthouse, in the courtroom, the doors were shut behind them, and they were all arrested. The charges counterfeiting gold coins. Holy cow. So, at a trial in May of 1897, at the federal courthouse in Moscow, Rivas took the stand and told how he had infiltrated the Klan. The equipment and supplies were for counterfeiting were all produced because he knew where they had been buried and hidden. Okay. I have a question there. Okay. What about the coins that had been passed into circulation? They were still in circulation. Right. Yeah. But eventually they're going to wear out and, and you know, because they're plastered, they're going to Oh, well, a lot of people or, are going to use it as uh, money. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, the trial lasted six days. Uh, Jim Eddy was found guilty on all eight counts. John Eddy was found guilty on eight counts. Emmett Taylor, their partner, guilty on six counts. Uh, Ike Splon, guilty on four counts. Stan Splon and Newt Eddy, guilty of conspiracy. Um, Jim, they actually had some kids involved in this. There were two minors that uh, uh, were helping with the family. No so kidding. the kids of, of the Eddies, but uh, they were recommended to the mercy of the court, so they probably didn't do anything. I know an Eddy family up in that area. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and I wonder if there's not a distant relative. Well, Jim and John, Eddie, and Emmett Taylor were sentenced to 16 years of hard labor. You know, back then, yeah. they didn't just go sit in a prison watching TV. No. Well, so, first of all, they didn't have TVs. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But the rest of them kind of received lighter sentences. Uh, the few Eddies who remained out of prison eventually sold off the property where they lived and were said to have left for Oregon. So 
I don't know, maybe they all left, and but maybe there's still some up there. I'll be. But the fake gold coins seem to have kind of disappeared from sight. Like I say, uh, none of them uh, seem to have uh, appeared in recent years. Uh, yeah, but they still could be. I guess they could, you know. I mean, but, somebody like maybe a great-grandfather or great-grandmother might have kept them to give in a family will right. or whatever. Yeah, and... I guess only on really good inspection would they be able to decide or have an expert look at it and decide, okay, yeah, this is a fake. Now, if they weren't uh, jostling around in someone's pocket or money pouch or whatever, they might still be, quote, unquote, in mint condition. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, my. It would be fascinating if, if some of them still showed up somewhere and could be detected. By the way, I was going to pay you for this program. I've got a $20. You got a <laughs> <laughs> now, you might wonder about Nancy Hanks, the horse. Yeah, what happened to the horse? Well, uh, his speed was used to bring down the families uh, because Nancy Hanks was poisoned at Meadows while Rivas was testifying on the case at Moscow. Whoa. So it was, Meadows is a horse uh, racetrack. I think so, but who poisoned the horse? Don't know. No. Really? So, and Rivas, what happened to him? Well, a few accounts floated around as to the rest of his life. According to one story, he was beaten to death. In another version, he was fatally shot. And a third says he lived out his life near Enterprise, Oregon, where he ran a livery stable. And it may be just possible that Rivas had had enough excitement for one lifetime you know, if they would have caught him, the family, when he oh, was working for him, him. yeah, they'd have, him. they'd have just got rid of him. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty fascinating because you hear about, you know, counterfeiters, but I always think of uh, paper, paper yeah. counterfeit, not yeah. uh, not gold coins. Yeah, and these guys and gals in that family, they they were pretty sharp. They were. They well, like I said, they had uh, done quite a bit of research, and and even to acquire a large uh, electric battery. Yeah. You know, where would they get an electric battery, keep it charged, uh, you know? Let me ask you this. The artwork. I mean, somebody had to really be tremendous at the artwork and the detail work. Well, and see, that's when I started the story. I mentioned they got a package from Chicago. Oh. So they must have hired somebody, some kind of a special artist back in Chicago to make these uh, these molds. Through history, let me ask you this. Has there been any counterfeit operations that really succeeded without the law catching them? That's a good question. I, I don't know that, but... You know, even today, with modern technology... Yeah, they're still trying it. I wouldn't be at all surprised. You know, uh, I know when store clerks get a $100 bill, they hold it up to the light. That's right. Uh, What's a a $100 bill? I've just heard rumors. I've heard rumors that they're out there. Maybe even 50s, but I've really heard rumors about... Uh, I, I got a five. You got a five? <laughs> That's more than I got in my pocket. Okay. Yeah. So but This is interesting because I do know that one family that you're talking about, and they are from that area. Well, you might give them a little phone call, I'll Zeb. give them a call and say, what kind of crooks have you got in your family yeah, tree? Do you know Jim and, and Lewis and yeah. John? Do you, are these guys your great-grandfathers? Yeah, I'm going to check on that. I'm going to check on Well, you know, really, when you think about it, you and your family and me and my family, we don't really know what kind of desperados were in our backgrounds. Exactly. You and I were talking about that. and. Yep. 
you know, we think we live in somewhat of a sheltered area here, but uh, again, we don't always know uh, who's driving down the street. Or absolutely, uh, but. And when it comes to tales of the old west that you are so good at, uh, there might be the most outstanding and upstanding family in the area. But boy, they've got some wild childs in their background. Some skeletons in the closet. I like that story. That's a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.